0: 69th Psalm, verse 21, and the other is the 19th chapter of John, verse 28. The verse from the Psalms is the prophecy that the passage in John fulfills. I've been preaching on the seven last words of Jesus He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He is a forgiving God. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He made provision beyond death for a believer. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He was a family man. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was a forsaken man. And today, I want us to look at him as a man. The humanity of Jesus, behold the man. And here's the prophecy, Messianic prophecy, verse 21, chapter 69. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Verse 28 of 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. There is one word in the Greek, literally, thirst. There is a problem, inevitable problem, for every um, celebrity and that is the, the distortions and the misrepresentations about them by the public and by the media. Not long ago, a soap opera queen said, I don't even recognize the things that are being said about me. I read those articles and I ask, I say, this couldn't possibly be me. Imagine how misrepresented and distorted in light of that was the information about Jesus of Nazareth who lived 2,000 years ago. Just think of all the sermons that have been preached about Him and all the books and pamphlets that have been written about Him and all the Sunday school lessons that have been taught about Him. I have a feeling if He were alive today, and heard some of these sermons, read some of these pamphlets, he'd probably say, this couldn't possibly be me. He was the most, is the most misrepresented person who has ever lived. Even the reports in his lifetime about him were varied. One day after returning from a preaching mission in Galilee, he got his disciples around him and said, ask, What are people saying about me? And Peter said, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. You know him. He's that fiery prophet that was beheaded by Herod. And some are saying that you're Elijah. Word was that Elijah never really died. He was just carried into heaven on a chariot of fire. And they're saying that you're Elijah, raised from the dead. If there ever were two fearless, courageous, earth-shaking characters in Israel's history. These two guys. They're saying "This this about you. They're saying that you're Jeremiah the prophet, the one who denounced the sin of Israel and in those poetic terms or words called his people back to him, the most misrepresented man who has ever lived. And how is He being represented now? And what is being said about Him today? Well, most of the time, through art and literature, we picture Jesus as this kind of a pale and weak wimp with slender hands and and delicate features and soft flowing hair that would look marvelous in a Clairol commercial. Or He's this kind of an earth pious, otherworldly that would just literally be aghast if he heard anybody curse or say anything crude. And he's pictured as somebody as soft as down and as fragile as a feather. Old pale Galilean, Swinburne called him, as he dismissed him as being a legitimate lord and master. Who is this man? And what is he really like? Underneath the cosmetic and the misrepresentation, what is he really like? Barton calls him the man nobody knows. I think, first of all, that he is a man of great strength. Rather than being some kind of a prissified, effeminate idol, I think that Jesus was this Rugged and powerful and strong and dynamic man. Remember that he wasn't born in a maternity hospital of a private hospital, maternity ward of a private hospital. He was born in a stable. And when he was just a boy, he came out of Egypt with his family who had been out there in exile. And he walked all the way back a distance of 300 miles And when he was a young man, he worked in a carpenter shop until just before he entered the ministry. And that was no easy job. Barton in his book, The Man Nobody Knows, describes this. Quote, The practice of carpentry was no easy business. In those simpler days, doubtless the man who took a contract for a house assumed responsibility for digging into the rough hillside for its foundation or felling trees in the forest and shaping them with an adze. In after years, those who listened to the talk of Jesus by the Sea of Galilee and heard him speak of the man who built his house upon a rock. No doubt he knew what he was talking about. Some of them had seen him bending his strong, clean shoulders to deliver heavy blows or watch him trudge away into the woods with an axe over his shoulder and return at nightfall with a rough-hewn beam. He was a powerful man. What did the soldiers, the Roman officials, think about him? When the policemen came to arrest him that night, it was dark and they didn't recognize him. So they asked this man, are you Jesus? of Nazareth? And he turned and answered, I am. And they fell back to the ground as though they'd just been slugged in the stomach by Holyfield. What did they feel? What did they sense emanating from this man? They sensed a power strange and mysterious mysterious emanating from Jesus, a power they could neither understand nor explain. And Pilate was afraid of him and he represented the imperial authority of Rome, and he was afraid of him. And the Puritans call this the stormy north side of Jesus. And he walked into the temple one day, and he saw all those bird cages stacked on top of each other. And the noise and the stench was unbearable. And he saw these men running around, these exploiters, bartering and ripping off the people and taking advantage of the poor. And he started throwing furniture out the front door. And his eyes flashed with indignation. And he got a whip and he started driving out these exploiters. And they didn't protest because they felt this fire flashing from his eyes. No, he wasn't some mamby-pamby mama's boy. He was this powerful man that everybody feared to be around when he was angry was a man of joy. The indication of scripture is that he lived joyously, even to the point of exuberance. So much so that his enemies said he's a wine-bibber, which is an indication he loved to go to dinner parties. He He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief for sure, but he was the happiest man who ever lived. They said he's a friend of publicans and sinners, which means that the common run of folks, the down crowd, downtown crowd in Nazareth loved to be around him. And the common folks, the people, the adults, were so attracted to him that they just wanted to touch his clothes. And the Jews fasted, but Jesus refused to fast. And he said, how can you fast? How can the children of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them? He called himself the bridegroom. You ever seen a gloomy one? You ever seen a gloomy bridegroom? I've seen some nervous ones. (laughs) I've seen some that I thought bordered on idiocy, but I've never seen a gloomy one. And the children were attracted to him, and children are attracted to people of gladness. He was radiant, was this Jesus. I want you to imagine a man and his wife getting ready to have a party over the weekend. They're getting out their list of people they want to invite. And so the wife says, well, let's invite Josephus, the Pharisee. And the husband says, are you kidding? You talking about that old uh, pompous bore? You mean that guy always goes around with his arms folded over his chest with that scowl on his face? always bragging about how much he prays and how much he gives? You talking about that old coot that goes down to the square where everybody gathers and screams his prayers out so everybody can hear him? You talking about that guy who wouldn't be, go near a, a sinner or touch a leper? Are you serious? You want to invite him? I'll tell you what you do. You tear up that list of names and let's invite Jesus and his crowd. I'm in a mood for a party. I want somebody who come so we can have some laughs. It's party time. He was a man of joy. But he had an abrasive personality sometimes. Don't you ever get the idea that just because he was tender and gentle that he never raised his voice or skinned somebody's hide? He did. And Matthew chapter 23 describes the time that Imagine this, all the religious elite are there in one place to hear him give a talk. They're sitting out there, these pious people with their black robes, and Jesus comes out to give his talk. He steps to the podium and kind of clears his voice and says, you bunch of snakes, you smell bad. You remind me of dead bodies walking around. You blind leaders of the blind, you hypocrites, glad you came out to hear me today. And When he finished his When he finished his little discourse on woe and judgment, I have a feeling John kind of leaned up against him and said, I think you may have offended a couple of folks today. And when his mother came up to him and said, the host has no wine, Jesus snapped, what is that to me, woman? The time of my revelation has not come. And when the Syrophoenician woman came and begged him to heal her daughter, Jesus said, why, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. Dogs was an epithet for Gentiles, anybody who wasn't a Jew. And when he was on his way up the Via Dolorosa to die on the cross, carrying that burden on his back, women gathered along the side of the road and wept for him and he stopped long enough to say, don't weep for me women, weep for yourselves. And when his disciples came to him one day and he said, I'm going to Jerusalem one day to die, Simon Peter said, no, Lord, it'll never happen to you, be it far from you. And Jesus turned to Simon and said, get out of my sight. I don't even want to look at you, for you talk like the devil and not God. And he had this demanding nature. So great was the demand of Jesus that folks fell away from following him. He demanded of his followers and still does and still does. He said, if any man comes after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for my kingdom. He said, if you're going to come after me, you must hate father and mother, brother and sister, your own life also. It was all or nothing, still is. You didn't get into this game with a quarter. You laid it all on the table. You gave up everything to follow him. Still must. And he never backed away from that demand. He cut nobody. No, he cut no slack for anybody. And when the crowd started drifting away, they went from 6,000 to 5,000 to 4,000 to 3,000. And one day they said to him, Jesus, we want to make you our bread king. He said, I'm not going to be a bread king. In fact, if you follow me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And who can forget that rich man who came to Jesus of the ruling class. Any one of us in any church would have loved to have him in our congregation. We would have rolled out the red carpet for him. We had made him a deacon if it was necessary to get him. He'd have been hounded by every pastor in Durant. And Jesus cherished him. The scripture says that he loved him and he longed to have him as his follower and he never watered down the demand. I remember my evangelism professor at seminary remarking about that one day. He said, just imagine this. The number one man in the community and Jesus looked on him and cherished him. But he never won." minute backed away from his demand to get him and he looked at this man and said if you follow me this is what one thing left for you to do take everything you've got sell it and give the money to the poor Rebecca Pippert said she went to Stanford to speak to a group of college students about Jesus his nature and work she was living in the dorm for 10 days or a week The first day she met a girl named Lois. Lois was living with her lover friend, Phil, off the campus. She invited Lois to come to their their conference, their session that night. Lois said, I'll come, but the Bible, I don't think the Bible is relevant. She said, when we got in this meeting, all of a sudden it dawned on me that my lesson that night was John 4 about the woman who had five husbands living with one who wasn't. She said, I know that Lois was thinking I was going to gang up on her, but I really wasn't. He said, She said, I was going to have all the I was going to let the, the, the gang on the front row, some of them sitting on the floor. He said, so Lois was sitting on the floor. I was going to let them read verses of scripture. So she said, in order so that Lois wouldn't have to read about this, she said, I called on Sarah. I met Sarah that day, or Sally or whoever it was. And I called on her because she's sitting on my right, Lois is sitting on my left. And I know at the time it got around, it, it, you know, it, to Lois, wouldn't, she wouldn't have to read. So little did I know, this was not Sarah, Sarah's twin. Sarah's sitting over here by Lois. So she had to read. You say, Well, I have no husband, and the one I live with is not my husband. And then Lois kind of chuckled and said, The Bible's more relevant than I thought. The next day, Rebecca met her in the hall and said, "Why don't you give your heart to Christ? I sense that the Master has been in search of you for years." And Lois said, "If I give up, if I follow Christ, I'll have to leave Phil. There's nowhere to live. There's no room in the dorm. I'd be out in the cold." Rebecca said, "I'll pray for you." Didn't back down on the demand. That night as they met for the second session, the door came open. In stumbled Lois. Suitcase in each hand. One under each arm. Tears flowing out her eyes. She'd come to follow Christ. Some of her friends said, Why did you leave Phil? Why did you leave home? She said, You don't understand. I've just now found home. The long and short of it was. Three of her friends came to Christ. Later on, Phil... You can't separate His love from His demand. Watch this. You can't dissect Jesus into pieces that you want and need. J.R. Stout put it like this. He said, if you're going to follow Christ, you must repudiate yourself and renounce the right to manage and control your life. He was a demanding man. still is. He was an unyielding man. He came to die. And he set his face to that purpose. That's why he came. And he never went back on it. When Lincoln's body was being transferred out to Springfield, Missouri, Springfield, Illinois, it lay in state in Cleveland, Ohio for a couple of days so people could come by and see it. And a black woman stood in line with her child in her arm for a long time to see the body of her emancipator. And when she stepped up to the casket and looked into the face, dead body, dead face of Abraham Lincoln, she turned to her daughter she was holding in her arms and said, Take a long, long look at that man, honey he died for you he set his face toward jerusalem it means that he didn't he wasn't gravitated toward jerusalem he didn't wander into a war zone and get killed accidentally nor did some evil men conspire and the result of their conspiracy put him to death he orchestrated the whole thing he came to die And he set his face like a flint to that death for you and for me. And even in Gethsemane, when it was obvious what was going to happen, and his disciples caved in and all fled, he never yielded. And he put that cross on his back, and he walked down the way of sorrow, up to Golgotha. And Pilate came out to them again, saying, I'm going to bring him out so that you will see that I find no guilt in him at all. Therefore, Jesus came out again wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Take a long, long look at that man. He died for you. And if you take a long, long look at him, how could you not love him? And why would you not follow Him at any cost? Let's pray together. I pray, Father, that through Your Son You would call us to Yourself. And may there be men and women, boys and girls, all over this audience who have the courage to get up out of their seat and begin to follow Christ, understanding what that means. For I ask in Jesus' name and beg this for His sake. There are three imitations this morning. Who will be the first? to step out of their place there, down these aisles, to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to give my heart and life to Him. In the balcony, in the choir, in this audience, you will come today, I pray, to say, I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him. Who will come today saying, I want to place my life in his company of believers to follow him publicly as a Christian, as a church member. Who will come today to say, I want to recommit my life to Christ? To be one of those disciples who follows Christ because he loves him and wants to serve him. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.